This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 399. It's CES Week. Hello, welcome everyone to another episode of your favourite tech weekly podcast, GamesAtWork.biz. My name is Andy Piper and I am excited to be kicking off a brand new year, calendar year 2023, so happy new year to our listeners, and to be joined in audio uh, for the first time in quite a while, I think, to have all three of us together on a recording, Um, apart from our special episode that we did with the BCS back in December. I think we've missed having all three of us together um, to record a show for um, quite a few weeks. So it's lovely to see you both. I'll kick it over to you, Michael Rowe. How's it going? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Andy. Yes, it is great to be back together, all three of us, at full strength to talk tech. And, you know, this week is always a special week uh, for the show since it is, uh, as you've already said, it's CES week and, and we get to have loads of fun. So, Michael, Martin, how are you? Hello, Happy New Year to you and to our listeners, everyone. Um, I am doing great. And uh, luckily, I am not sick. Um, you're not sick. Uh, Andy, you're not sick, so there's no CES crud amongst any of us. Uh, so that's a, that's a good start to the year, isn't it? But it's happening again. It's happening in real life. Um, I think they did last last year as well. It seems like this year looked like it was a lot busier. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about in our in our uh, show run through, but um, there's more that we didn't ha- didn't have chance to to fit into the show. So there's been a lot of announcements. Exactly, and our our, our uh, friend. Uh Ryan Boyles uh, is at CES this week, and I've been seeing his um, his various posts and commentary. Uh, he looks like he's having a really good time. Nice to see that there are still masks being worn. That, that is a good thing. Good stuff. Well, before we get That'll to reduce the crud, before we get to the <laughs> CES topics, because we've got a few that we've hand selected for all of you, uh, let's let's start off with Metaverse, and we're kicking things off from a wired. UK article. I think Andy, you may have found this one to begin with, and it suggests that it's not too early to become metaverse ready. It's a, a primer, a little bit, uh, not just for young ladies, but for businesses to get ready for the metaverse. What What was your takeaways from the article, Andy? Well, so the the headline here is it's not too early to become metaverse ready, and the subheadline is. Uh, you can get a head start on VR if you transition to 3D-centric content now from a business perspective. And it was talking about, you know, using 3D uh, creation tools to design new products. I think that's been happening for a very long time um, at this point, although it's much, much easier than it ever has been before. Uh, I didn't get a ton from this story. I felt like it was um, metaverse washing, um, a non-story, <laughs> really, because, you know, it, it really is just like, you should all build more 3D content right now. Now I'm looking at this from the perspective of if I'm running a large business or even a small business, uh, we might be interacting via VC, uh, Google Meet, Skype, whatever we might be using. But, you know, how much of 3D virtual content are we 
bringing into those meetings uh, on an ongoing day-to-day basis. So for sure, having starting to make sure that you're generating 3D-based assets for any sort of product launch, yeah, why not? Definitely do it because it's going to be useful in some context. Michael Rowe, I, I remember, I think earlier this week when we were all uh, starting to chat about the CES news stories coming in and you shared with the, the, the two of us uh, an image of a, of a desk with some monitors and I said, wait, mm-hmm. what's... Oh, one of them's AR. I see what's happening here. One of them's kind of <laughs> floating. Oh, okay, I see what yes. you've done. And, and yeah, that, I, I can see more of that kind of behavior helping. But I thought that the title was a bit of a, bit of a stretch. I, I thought the real insight of this article, I mean, yes, it's a stretch, especially the metaverse angle of it. But um, as you say, small and or large businesses, the, the, the real value of this article to me was it's actually cheaper to do a lot of your marketing material and content in 3D than the traditional method. And so they talk about, you know, Ben and Jerry's doing, you know, thousands of product images in weeks instead of months. Uh, they talk about IKEA, you know, uh, doing their 3D images uh, and saving money on photo shoots and things of that nature, right? And so um, what it really says is we've gotten to the point now that creating appropriately realistic 3D content is cheaper than traditional content and has future usage for things like AR, VR, and the metaverse. That is the one piece of insight that the average business user should be able to get out of this article and take that to heart in driving how they get content created. So here's a here's a here's an aside that we didn't have in our list of uh, links, but I'm going to throw one and throw a new one in at you both already. So, if you go to webspaces.space, um, then this is something that one of my friends, uh, Chris Harman, who has long time been a an advocate for web standards, um, and I believe he's currently at Microsoft. He'd previously been, um, I think, at Mozilla. I'm probably getting completely confused with his his journey, uh, but he's you know a super awesome um, a web advocate and he uh, I think posted on Mastodon about web spaces today web spaces being a new kind of website using HTML to create 3D worlds in addition to 2D pages now this is the kind of thing that I can see being much more useful to businesses wanting to transition to be metaverse ready from the perspective of doing business running a business collaborating, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. doing those kind of things, because you're already using a ton of tools on a 2D, 2D surface, right? We've, we've gone around this conversational loop before that, you know, there's a difference between immersive VR headset-wise, but also the ability to, to interact inside that space through a 2D screen surface. So, yeah, I, I, that wasn't at all in our, in, our, in our playlist for today, but uh, it came across my radar today, and I just clicked into place as we were talking about the topic. 
You know, the the cool. thing that kind of strikes me to combine what you just said, Andy, and Michael, what you said as well, I, I hadn't thought about it being less expensive than doing a photography shoot of real objects and then going from there, all the, the print and very, you know, color saturation, all that kind of stuff. But if we now broaden the arc a little bit further to the web spaces example you just gave, Andy, and combine it with the generative uh, chat GPT kind of structure to create 3D objects, you can now speak them into existence. And then therefore, it can have the appropriate rules around it so that the design guidelines are being followed, uh, and that they appropriately fit into what you have. So you could imagine, um, I saw this from Fiat, actually, where Fiat has a digital store where you can configure the car and you can see exactly what it would look like if you're in the driver perspective or what have you. Uh, yeah, why couldn't you do those sorts of things? So interesting clickbait title on becoming metaverse ready, uh, but branches nicely into a few of the things that we're talking about, too. Um, now, if we get to something that's a little bit more tactile a little more real here and we've we've talked about versions of this now already more than once or twice um and gadget has something that they're calling the driver x gloves to help you um not speak your 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 objects around and move them around but to actually grab them in the 3d space and move them physically via the gloves so an interesting new way of interacting what what were your thoughts on this I love the start of the article. Um, there are two words that will make gamers of a certain age go weak at the knees. <laughs> Power glove. <laughs> I, I actually thought the technology that they describe is really interesting, right? Uh, using the coils, the micro coils around the fingers uh, as a way of providing that tactile feedback. Uh, I thought that was really cool. I think pricing-wise, uh, it's still a little steep. <laughs> uh, and, and I... I'm not sure. Is Driver X the name of the company or just the product name by the company? I couldn't tell uh, what the name of the com- company. Maybe Driver X is the company and Contact Glove is the device. Yeah, that did. I okay. think that's what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so when when you think about creating realistic experiences in VR, this makes sense. Makes sense uh, in AR to some degree. I mean, if I can see kind of a mixed reality. Do I really need to have a tactile feedback on top of that? Maybe so. Well, uh, I can imagine uh, in in like uh, uh, distance surgeries, tactile feedback is critical, right? Uh, but in in you know working together on a whiteboard in a virtual room, maybe not. But yeah, this this definitely looks interesting, and I'd like to see something like this get into a price range uh, that it can be adopted. Because at 1850 pop, uh, definitely enterprise at the best, right? Well, so they got um, this is actually Diver X rather than Driver X uh, is the company, ah. and the product is is Contact Glove, which is being um, crowdfunded on Kickstarter. So I'm sure that uh, our friend E Pred will probably buy two or three of these. Um, <laughs> yes, and we'll have to ask him to come and give us a review. It's interesting. It's what Diver it? X, not yeah. Driver X. Yeah, Diver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so Gadget um, spelled it wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going through there. Ah, that makes anyway, much more sense. Um, <laughs> uh, and they got a they've got an innovation award um, out of CES here. So um, uh, they've actually see. I was I was going to tie it into Speed Racer. Yeah, right? that's where yeah, I was going. X, sure, his brother. Sure, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. That's, so, that's um, probably the, the 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 James True got a little weak at the knees thinking about Speed Racer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Speed Racer funny. and a power glove. <laughs> I, I, the the only other thing I'd add to this is that I think the the haptics are interesting because you will be able to do this. I think with with uh, cameras and gestures in the future, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you can easily see that whatever you're using for your augmented reality experience, the, the cameras there could identify, oh, there's a hand, you're moving and manipulating an object. But the tactile piece would be a, another degree of feedback that the thing you're exactly. trying to position, uh, instead of it just glowing or that it's eyeball tracking or something like that, it could actually, you could feel that you've got it and now that will help you do something with the object. All right. Well, now let's talk about seeing. Seeing is believing. Um, there's a Mac Rumors article. There's actually been more than one or two articles about this sort of thing uh, with a, an artist's rendering and an idea about the AR VR headset from Apple. Well, I think I think the rendering is just a rehash of a rendering that came out mm-hmm. last summer. Yep. Um, what's, what's more interesting to me is uh, much more detailed specification listing of... of where they believe the rumored Apple headset is. I, I saw another article, I think it was this morning or yesterday, um, that the rumored January event is now sometime in second quarter. <laughs> so more delays due to manufacturing issues, um, primarily around drop. You know, the quality of the device, if it got dropped, shattering or breaking. Ooh, uh, and, you bad. know, who's ever dropped an iPhone uh, and shattered a screen? Well, when you look at the rendering, if it's even close, you can see the problem. Um, but the, the the real interesting part to me is the integration with the, the same um, ultra-low latency chip for the hearing, right? The H2 hearing chip. Um, and... The fact that it is more than likely a tethered device, right? A battery tethered device. So it amused me because this is the first time I think this set of rumors that, as Michael said, it was rumored to be tethered. Um, and specifically, they talk about having a, a waste mounted battery, which is very similar mm-hmm. to the to what happened with the Magic Leap, the the the, the sort of AR goggles that were going to be revolutionary. And uh, yeah, that was a new thing that um, was mentioned. Um, there's a ton of information here. The pricing yeah, was... About a two-hour battery life, I think it was, somewhere around there. Yeah, the pricing is pretty terrifying. Um, I can't see what the audience is. The only thing I wondered with that was when the watch came out, when the phone came out initially, they were priced exceedingly premium and then almost immediately got cut by you know half, almost, I think, something along those lines, right? But- but that the, the phone, though, the problem there was originally when it first came out, because I bought one of those very first ones, um, it was one of the first phones that did not have a tie to a specific contract. That's right. Uh, yes. And it was AT&T, but it wasn't a contract phone, which meant you paid the full amount that's instead right. of it being somewhat subsidized by the carrier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's why the next release was immediately, like you said, I think $300 less. Right. right. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they but do. But at three thousand dollars, I still think the pricing here is a dev kit. <laughs> it, I, right. I don't think this is consumer pricing. It's a yet. lot of detail for a rumor. Mm. It's an awful yeah. lot of detail for a rumor, isn't it? So a lot. We'll we'll see what it is when we see it. Um, 
you know, the MagSafe connector and all that other stuff that's in the detail. I like that. Um, let, let's see what it is uh, before the next things happen. Because my, my you, you could have a whole belt of batteries and use that MagSafe and be like a hot swap battery I mean, switch. You could, you could have like a, um, a bandolier like Chewbacca. Of yeah. The list of like yeah, batteries. like Chewbacca. That, yeah. That's even better. I was hoping for a place to hang my batarang, you know, as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, so, so we've been kind of easing up on CES. Some, you know, some things rumored, some things not. And in our CES selection for you, our dear listening audience, uh, we're going to start off with some automotive stuff. And there's actually two interesting pieces to this story about Mercedes. And Michael, you're uh, amongst us a, a big Mercedes fan. Um, Yes. Are you excited about the idea of being able to charge an electric Mercedes different places across North America? Well, uh, yeah, There's what, what's more interesting about this is if you actually look at the charging network, who they're partnering with. Yeah, with, with it's Hyundai. It's Mercedes, BMW, Volkswagen. Ford. Uh, yeah. So, so, so that's really interesting for, for the U.S. market, European market. But if you look at this from a from a network perspective, that's the interesting part. This says the EV market has gotten serious enough where they realize they can't do it on their own. It's like you can't just have you know Tesla doing their network of of chargers and expect everybody else to to deal with them. This is a a group along with as we said Volkswagen, BMW, Ford, Hyundai, and. Um, others coming together to lay out the the electrical grid in the US. Now, what's not very exciting about this is that uh, the target was what 2027 or mm. yeah, 2027 for the US. That's that's depressing. <laughs> uh, because they they do talk from at least from a Mercedes perspective if uh, you're a Mercedes buyer and you buy one of their EVs, you could possibly get uh, preferred uh, register um, reservations uh, or something right? reservations yeah. for chargings, uh, but if you buy it now and you got to wait till twenty twenty seven, your battery's probably going to be dead. <laughs> um, what 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 are your thoughts? I I know uh, as a BMW fan, uh, they're in this list too. Yeah, I I think it's good. I think having choice and selection is important. Um, I my, my sense though is a ubiquitous model where it doesn't really matter what, what brand of car so you have. This is this yeah. is remarkable to me because that's exactly what we have. Um, this but in Europe at least, I mean, we don't. Other than Tesla, everybody's using a standardized connector, um, mm -hmm. and I believe that Tesla's been forced to make theirs compatible and may open up their network to to non-Tesla um, owners, right? So um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on all of that because I, I that's not my that's not my, my market, but certainly my um, Kia, the manufacturer who's, who's make the car I drive, um, have a sort of some kind of Kia charge app and offering, but it just piggybacks onto the existing networks. Now there are far too many networks. There are there's right. a you know a dizzying array. I've got I guess ten different apps on my phone for different. I was about to say how many apps systems. do you have to? And, yeah. and, and it's <laughs> frustrating because it's not like a petrol station, you know, a gas station where you can just walk in and tap your your card on the charger and uh, you know in many cases, in some cases actually, not all, um, you you do need to have their specific app and have an account with them and then they can spam you and I get random 
text messages from uh, charging stations on the Isle of Wight every now and then, which is not where I am, or, or you know, in a totally different <laughs> county, you know, about the charging network. And I'm just like, go away. I'm not there right now, and I'm not likely to be there for a long time. So, Do they offer you discounted electrons at least, or they just tell no. you that they exist? Yeah, they're just generally telling me that they exist and they're broken, so uh, I don't try and charge <laughs> her right now. So on the on each of those apps, this is a question that I really have: um, is do each of them what what type of data are they allowed to collect, uh, and what type of marketing do they do? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, there's the GDPR, the, the General Data Protection Regulation in Europe. So they're limited in terms of what data they can collect, and typically it's either phone number or email or both, and a, and a password to sign in, and that's more or less all that you know they they require. Um, and probably then a payment information, so you can either so you can pay in the app if that's if that's the way that the, the system is set up. Um, I would have to look at what I signed up to in terms of what marketing they can send me. They don't. I don't get lots and lots of it. I was being flippant, but I certainly do occasionally get a message for a, a, a charging network that I'm not currently in need of using. Um, and I've got a home charger, so generally speaking, I try to avoid using public chargers anyway. So, yeah, um, because I'm getting it at a, at a much lower rate at home than I would do if I was on the road. That's not always possible if I needed to drive a longer distance. And again, I'm in a smaller European country, so it's typically range has not been a big problem. Um, and I can imagine in larger countries that would be more of a problem more of a challenge and you need to be uh do a yeah. lot more planning absolutely uh, we're going to leave this one but the, the the other takeaway from this interesting article had a point that said uh, that mercedes has applied for level three automated driving certification in california and nevada yeah. that was kind of buried in the bottom it'll be yeah. interesting to see how that proceeds so, um, so moving from BM, from a Mercedes to BMW here for a moment, um, the thing that attracted my attention for this Ars Technica article was firstly about the full screen head-up display that is being used here and sort of the new version of the technology and leveraging the entirety of the glass as opposed to a small section of it to cast out prism wise into the near space in front of you what your speed is or what your next turn is going to be so that was interesting and i thought it was also really interesting that um not just bmw volkswagen other companies are now using the canvas of the car to put information change the color uh put a qr code out there uh put a sign well, that, that says was, move over i don't know it could be a we, whole we, range we saw of one about uh, about six months or nine months ago we definitely had it was a, pretty much limited color yes, that's right and yes. what they're showing here looked to be i won't say full color but at least cga maybe even ega graphics uh <laughs> approving off the 8-bit you know yes yes uh and and that was very impressive uh and also the way they integrated the lights and other stuff into the body of the car to where it's not obvious until it's needed yeah that was impressive if i can play commander keen on the outside of my vehicle then that would be awesome sorry that's a bit of a uh, i bet you can play doom that's a bit of a dos game deep cut there but um you were talking about cga and ega and that's where my mind immediately went uh i think the um yeah i i i, I think this is interesting i noticed also i uh, the kia i think um because i see a ton of kia news as a driver 
They, I get it in all of my. Uh, the algorithms are tuned to deliver me that news. Uh, <laughs> but I notice that the, the the models that they're talking about this year are moving towards the um, panoramic um, dash uh, displays that would enable yeah. the new generation of CarPlay that Apple uh, previewed last year. Um, so it's yeah, mm. super interesting to see this continue to go in this direction. I find the naming of this. I mean, these are concept vehicles, so they're they're generally usually well, wacky. It's but, yeah. and it's five years away. I yep. mean, I remember five years ago at CES in with the automakers showing some of the really cool mapping technology that they were trying to sell them, um, and you now saw this week Google's announcement on Android Auto. I, the last thing I'll, I'll touch on fast here and then we'll go is the notion of shy tech. Um, I, had, I had heard that maybe once, twice before, but I hadn't really thought about it. And the way shy tech, S-H-Y, is, is described here is that the controls disappear and they're not there when you don't want them. And yeah, Michael, I, I see like you shaking your all. head. I, I like the tactile feel of, of a knob I, that you know when you switched from one thing exactly. to the next. You know? And and if you think of any type of fly-by-wire system, you still need a manual safety backup. We are of a, of generations where these these you know we have a memory of the the tactile behaviors. Now we yep. we know that that is not how youngsters generally start to interact with technology today. Um, so I totally hear you, and I don't love this either. But I can appreciate the, you know, the, the, the mental thought processes that go, go towards this, this kind of design and this kind of idea. When, when it's fully self-driving, I get it. But if I have any control over driving the vehicle, ShyTech is just like browsers that hide all the information. Like when a page is loading something and the status bar disappears, and things are loading in the background. I want to see what's going on. Yeah, yes. show me that. Show me that HTML. I want to see every I, I want to see character. the status at the bottom that says it's loading this file and that file, because that's how you know what's going on. Show yeah, me we, that we love our just, word perfect uh, codes in the document. Reveal codes. <laughs> <laughs> so um going back to, to browsers laptops and the like uh one thing i saw earlier today from daniel newman was a ces little video for the newest lenovo thinkpad and this is really a thinkpad where it's a keyboard it is a large monitor you can fold it you can unfold it you can drop the keyboard on the monitor and fold it up and now it is a little laptop um really super cool stuff and lenovo has a lot of heritage in the area where michael and i are uh where many innovations have come out over time i, I thought this was great uh unfortunately i'm firmly in the apple camp it's a big surprise to long-term listeners of this show i know uh so there's not one of these in my future but i, I yeah, love but the i way can it's put i together. can i can see Apple heading in a similar direction. So we've yeah. heard about, you know, that we know that they've, I mean, I'm sure that they're experimenting with things that we've not even conceived, right? But they, we know they've been experimenting with foldable displays. We know that um, yep. that all of these kind of things are possible. We know that there's been this, uh, will they, won't they converge iPad OS and Mac OS conversation? I could see this as being a way of giving you both worlds, Mm -hmm. um, giving yeah. you iPad OS this as a 
as a, as a plain touchscreen tablet interface, but then you know, uh, folding or unfolding the, the screen depending on which direction you were going, putting on a physical keyboard similar to the Magic Keyboard, um, and then it becoming transitioning into being a MacBook. You know, I can see that as something. So, um, I I also love this, uh, and I think that Lenovo have done a, have been very innovative here. They've they've got a history of it. This is called the ThinkPad X1 Fold, and it it unfolds into a almost a portrait 16.3 inch display for those of you um all of you listening to our audio podcast um <laughs> so if you can if you or just ima- go to the site and yeah click the link yeah it's, uh, uh, it's I, super cool lenovo at ces every year shows off great stuff and what i really like is almost all of it becomes a real product right mm-hmm. this is a product they they do their yearly product release at ces uh and as you say this is i, I think it's impressive i i like the idea and your point andy uh of rumors about apple's unfoldable screens if they come to something close to this i think that would be incredible i, I think they won't do something like this mm-hmm. because they're apple yeah because somebody's already that's done that's the it downside of a closed thing. yep <laughs> Yep. So they'll do something different, uh, and the question is, will it be different enough to be valuable? Because this I, this looks great. And the I, question, the, the other question I have about this is how seamless. I mean, the, obviously the demos look amazing, but how seamlessly Windows will handle the sizing, resizing, transitioning between states? Because typically, yeah. I've not seen any operating system do a great job of that. Um, and I think at the moment, Windows is ahead of of the Mac in terms of like just plugging in and having everything back in the places you expect and multiple displays and things. Um, so we'll see what happens. But, yeah, really nice. Um, good. Well spotted there, Michael. Um, um, thank you for bringing this to our to our conversation. I know we're at time. We have two fast things, and then we're going to have to skedaddle. So the, the last one from CES is Samsung's new oven. And the interesting thing, or many interesting things about it, but the most interesting thing is there's a camera inside of the oven, which makes it easy for you to go and look and see you know, who among us has had problems sometimes looking in the oven, seeing what's going on. And this article talks about the ability to live stream your cooks. So if you wanted to showcase how you're making that particular turkey or uh, potatoes, oh, Groton, you could live stream it. Um, there, you know, they're they're not the only one that's done that. Uh, there's a there's a company that makes a uh, quote smart toaster, but and it's, it's more like a, a cook oven uh, that has been doing cameras inside to do analysis of the food uh, and you're cooking for some time. Matter of fact. One of the podcasts I was listening to this week um, was talking about that as their pick of the week. I'll, I'll find it, and we'll put it in the show, lo- show well, notes. Super quickly attached to that, I also shared this week um, a 3D print um, that I was doing. It's not a very exciting 3D print, but it was using a camera from inside, the obviously, the printer. And, uh, and yeah, that, it reminded me when seeing that we're going to be able to have live stream our cooks and bakes from our, from our new Samsung ovens that they've caught up to 3D printing. Ah, very cool. All right. Well, last one. Uh, we are not a Lego podcast either, but huh. we oftentimes talk about it. But um, if they want to sponsor us, we'll we'll gl- gladly take it. <laughs> <laughs> we have a snowplow. Which which the of the little, two of you were the first one? To, that was to, me. To show? Yeah, it's the little the little Lego snowplow that could. I love it. Uh, this video is super cool, and the maker shows how you know he went through iterative design to build this little 
uh, Lego train that can uh, plow through the snow. And and then he get, he gets his friends and he goes up the mountain 2,000 feet above sea level, 2,000 meters even, I think, um, maybe. And, uh, oh, yeah, and they tried uh, 6,000 feet. There we go, 6,500 feet of altitude, they, so 2,000 It was meters. awesome. Um, and took it up there and tried this thing out. So it's super cool. <laughs> Lovely video to watch um, with friends and family yep. or just on your own. Check it out. Absolutely heartwarming. Love it. All right. Well, well, uh, it was great to be here together with you guys for this full strength episode. Uh, welcome everyone to 2023. We've got a very special episode coming up next. Uh, number of 399 plus one will carry the seven. That's 400. Whoa. So stay tuned. It's going to be a doozy. Yes. <laughs> and, and if you want to, do us a favor, go to your favorite podcatcher uh, and rate us. A five-star rating would be great. Gets us some visibility. Uh, or drop over at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Um, you can get the links to everything that we talked about in the show there. You can also uh, drop us an email or follow us on many different social media sites. Uh, right now, I think we're we're having a lot of fun playing around with um, the, Vet- the Fediverse uh, and um, we will have links um, on our site to who we are and what we do. And we'll All see right. you again about this time next week. See ya. See ya. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork_biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Mm-hmm.